0: today is the founding member and guitarist for one of the pioneering progressive metal bands Fates Warning. They have a brand new album out called Theories of Flight. I'd like to welcome Jim Matheos. How you doing, man? Good. How's your day going? Doing well so far. <laughs> All right, cool. Well, you got the new album Theories of Flight coming out July 1st. First album in uh, about three years. Between albums, uh, you guys do a lot of touring, you take some time off. What gets you to uh, decide, okay, now it's time to write a, a new album? Well, it's- kind of looking
1: forward actually you know you got to do a a lot of planning because these days you know it takes about six months or so realistically once you deliver a record before it comes out so for me i kind of just look at it a couple years ahead of time so i say if you know we were touring for that last record if we want to have a record out in 2016 well we've got to start writing at this time so it is kind of logistical for me it's not I wish it were as romantic as being able to say that I feel inspired and I start writing, but it's really just a matter of planning and saying we want to have a record out at this time and tour at this time, so that means we've got to get started at X time. It's really just a, a matter of long-term planning.
0: Yeah, I think a lot of people think that uh, that's basically, in, like, you know, if it's two or three years between, uh, you guys are relaxing or something, <laughs> and, then, and you know, and then you just write an album the month before or something.
1: Yeah, I wish it were that you know, we we toured probably a lot, in the first year and a half after the last record and then I started writing and the writing probably took about a year and then it's six months for the recording and mixing and all that so time goes by quick
0: You know after all these years of uh, writing and recording and touring what is it that will still inspire you when you sit down to songwrite?
1: I never know you know the thing that inspires me the most is stumbling across a good idea so rather than me waking up one morning and feeling inspired and going to the studio and writing, it's more a question of being persistent, at least for me, being persistent and going to the studio every day and experimenting, Uh, just trying different things, try writing. Sometimes it's just playing my guitar. Sometimes it's playing my guitar to different beats or whatever, you know, whatever is the mode of trying to be creative that day. And then sooner or later, something will, will happen and that will inspire me to go in a certain direction so it's for me it's always hard work first and then the inspiration comes out of that rather than the other way around
0: is it well it's obviously different with technology but the approach in the studio now how how has it evolved for you guys and are you guys doing the thing where you're sending files across the country and that type of thing or is it in the studio live (laughs) How, how has it changed for you these days
1: well, we're still, we do, you know, sending files back and forth, we all live quite a distance from each other. But for me, technically, it's really not any different than what I used to do in the 90s or even the 80s. It's just the, the actual technical delivery system has changed. So back in the 80s, I would write at home on a little cassette player, and I would bring the ideas to the band, and we would explore them at rehearsal. And then later in the eighties and even in the nineties, it would be me writing at home and putting ideas on cassette tapes and mailing those around to the guys. And now it's the same thing. I write by myself, but I send them through email. So it's, it's literally the same exact same way I used to write 30 years ago. But like I said, the the technology has changed the delivery system and made it a lot quicker and a lot easier, but it's essentially the same as I'd ever done.
0: Oh, that's funny. You know, you guys, um, have always towed the line between writing kind of some shorter accessible material and then the longer progressive ones and on the new album you have actually two 10 minute songs which you know the heavy prog fans will like how do you get to a 10 minute song do you try to say we need a long song or I want to do this or uh, it sort of evolves naturally as you're writing
1: it really does evolve naturally I don't remember ever sitting down and saying okay it's time to write a long song it, it really gets back to what I was saying before about stumbling upon ideas that I like and then the inspiration takes over. So it's kind of the ideas or the song tells me where it wants to go, not to sound mysterious or anything like that. But a song, like when you're starting to write something like The Ghost of Home and it has this huge long intro that came up first, you know that's not going to be a four-minute song or a, a catchy chorus song. We've already spent three minutes on the intro. Right. So it's going to go in different places And just the introduction of that song tells me That it's going to be a long song And it's going to go through a lot of different movements And maybe have some reoccurring themes And that kind of thing So really, again, it's the a question of The song dictating where it's going to go And me kind of following that path To its logical conclusion
0: Yeah, the, the long song has almost become uh, Like a prog calling card now You know, a lot of bands it's Almost true. feel like they have to have one so I always felt wonder if that feels like an obligation ever for a band.
1: For me, and I think for us, we tend to go the opposite direction. So I think there have been cases in the past where I felt determined not to write a long song <laughs> because I don't want to fall into that trap. So you have something like the DX record where I didn't want to do something in that, in that thing because I felt it was starting to become a cliche for us or for Prague. Um, so I just purposely stayed away from that. But, you know, again, if it does come up organically and this song feels like it needs to be a long song, then I'm okay with that.
0: Yeah, that said the last song is uh one of the one of my favorites on the album. It's really killer. Um Awesome, thanks. Uh, uh the first single uh which is the opening track from the rooftop, sort of very classic fates warning sound. Uh what uh what's that song about? How did it come together? Um that one's an interesting
1: musically anyway, interesting one for me as I was just talking about the writing again. Sometimes to mix things up, especially early on, and that was one of the first songs written for the record. Sometimes to get started, I like to try different things, and for that one, uh, what I did is we talked to Bobby, and we came up with a plan. I just said, well, I want to do a song that's at this tempo. I forget what the tempo is, 180 beats per minute, something like that, and maybe in this time signature, so he said, let's do something in 9-8. What can you do for me? And he just sends me maybe eight or ten different drum loop ideas with those parameters and then i start building riffs around those drum ideas and eventually just create a whole song around various drum riffs that he sent me. It's a very different way for me to work. I've only done it I think once before with him on I Am from the last record. Mm -hmm. Uh, But it's a really inspiring way for me to work. Instead of me starting with a blank canvas, I have these somewhat narrow parameters to work with. And sometimes that's a lot easier, especially when you're just starting, is to have a This kind of framework to start with, rather than being overwhelmed by the pure, you know, vastness of all the ideas that you can pull in, it's better to have something narrow like that. That really helped me just to get started on this record.
0: That was very cool. Um, Being one of the originators of of the so called progressive metal uh, sound, how how do you look at the genre these days and and what it's evolved into and and how it's grown or, or changed.
1: Uh, I get asked that question a lot. I don't really listen to a lot of this type of music, honestly. I don't really know a lot of the bands, and and very often when people tell me that there's this band that is this great new prog band or prog metal band that I should check out, and I listen to it, I just don't really feel anything when I listen to that kind mm-hmm. of music, for the most part. There's not a lot of it that inspires me. I like to listen to a lot of different kinds of music, so I'm, I'm really seriously kind of out of tune with what most people would consider prog metal these days, I guess.
0: Uh, that's interesting. Well, so what do you listen to on your downtime?
1: Could be anything from seventies prog to bluegrass, to alternative music, to classical music. It's really a wide variety. Whatever, whatever I feel like listening to that day.
0: And uh, on tour, what what can fans expect? Are you going to be playing, you know, most of the new record, or or sort of a, a cross section?
1: Well, we'll cross that bridge when we get to it. We, you know, we know that we need to play new songs we like to play new songs but we also know as fans that it's not a lot of fun sometimes to go to shows and right. and hear a band play all new live stuff so it's a delicate balance and it gets more difficult every time we put out a record because there's a huge you know a bigger back catalog for us to choose from so it's it's a delicate balance and it's something i spend a lot of time trying to put together but you know i imagine just like any other time there'll be maybe two maybe three songs from the new record and sometimes we experiment see what's going over well and what feels good on stage and if it's not working for whatever reason we'll try to bring something else in but I would imagine we'd play at least two or three from the new record to start with
0: Yeah, cool. I've always been fascinated with sort of your guys' era and onward you know, dream theaters and whatever's going on now, that kind of stuff yep. And I wanted to uh, just ask you first on, on Parallels, just what you remember about writing it, about the recording process, anything that was sort of interesting or, or where the band was at that time
1: yeah, that was a pretty interesting time for us. Um up until that point and even up to parallels, everything had been steadily growing from one record to the next where the record sales were increasing pretty much record after record, the tours were getting better. Um and then parallels we felt this huge momentum behind us. We thought it was gonna be a, a fairly big record, and I think the record company did too. And we had this great idea to uh to get together. I'd written maybe Two songs for it ahead of time, and then we were going to get together in Toronto, and we figured maybe spend another month there and and write because we'd always heard of you know like I said before, most of my writing was done at home, and I would bring it to the band later. We'd always heard great tales of people just bands that we like getting together and jamming in the studio and and doing records that way. It seemed like that was the classic way to do records from all the period that we like in the early '70s and stuff like that. So we figured we'd we'd try that, and it was a, a miserable failed experiment we we got together in toronto and we just couldn't write as a band together we tried for a month and that month slowly turned into i think seriously six months we ended up uh basically i got my own room and we went back to the same (laughs) pattern again i wrote songs in my room on my four track and then we'd get together at night as a band and work on those ideas so we fell back into the same pattern um and in the meantime, we ended up spending hundreds of thousands of dollars that we didn't realize was our money to begin with. But right. we sure learned the hard way on that one. <laughs> so, But, you know, looking back on it, it, was a great experience. We spent, like I said, six months in Toronto, basically, we thought, living for free. You know, the record company was paying for the, for the studio time and the rehearsal time and the hotel and the rental cars, and we were just living it up. So it was a great time looking back on it.
0: It had uh, what could be called sort of hits for you guys, right? I mean, like Eye to Eye, Point of View, and, and I think you guys had some MTV exposure around that time. Was that yeah. sort of uh, a, a, a change for the the band and the growing fan base based on all of that?
1: Yeah, it was definitely. Like I said, we felt the momentum building up to this record, and certainly even to this day, I think it's our strongest selling record. So it it, it was not only something we were really happy with, it just a lot of times in our career we've... Not purposely, and not that we really cared, but we've missed certain things. So I think, you know, we were heavy when things weren't maybe so heavy, and then we were progressive when things maybe weren't so progressive. But this one kind of almost hit at the right time. Um, so, yeah, it did really well, and MTV got on it, and the tour that we did right after was was really good for us. It was all sold-out shows. So, yeah, that was probably, I would say, as far as commercial success, the highlight of the band.
0: How did uh, how did you get James Labrie on it? He he sang uh, like backgrounds on one song.
1: Yeah, I did the uh, background harmonies in "Life in Still Water." Um, so we were in Toronto, as I said, and Terry Brown was mixing the record, and we just ran out of time. Finally, they kicked us out, and <laughs> everyone went home, and and we were mixing the record, and we thought that that song could use some harmonies, and Terry suggested James because James had just joined Dream Theater, and I. I think if i have the story correct i think terry was recording the vocals for him or had recorded vocals for him in the past and he suggested him.
0: oh that's cool yeah who who knew that would what that right. turned out to be um so moving on to uh to pleasant shade of gray you know that was an original concept doing sort of one long piece with you know split into 12 parts where where'd the idea come from and and uh, what drove you to do that
1: yeah, I mean, I don't know how original it is, really. I guess it is in the, in the realms of progressive metal, but for me, I took the idea from things like Jethro Tull Thick as a Brick, you know, which was oh, right. the original, sidelong songs, obviously not the same style of music, but I thought that would be great to try to do something like that in progressive music, progressive metal music. Um, and musically, I think that was really a direct antithesis to what we did with Parallels and Inside Out, because, as you said, they were shorter catchier songs on those records and after parallels things kind of fell apart with the label and with the support the broad support of the band and we just wanted to take a 180 and do something completely different and you know we had enough of this kind of short songs we wanted to just step out and do something completely different and to me doing something completely different would be doing a a, originally what was supposed to be one continuous song all the way through I, i finally gave in reluctantly at the end to dividing it up into 12 parts but the original idea was just to keep it as one one piece all the way through with no index points and i kind of got overruled on that one but <laughs> to me that was the again to do something completely different than what we've done with the previous two records
0: you know in today's sort of music you might have been able to to get away with the one long 60 minute track i think
1: <laughs> it's probably you know looking back on it, i'm happy we did it that way but sure. i was pretty determined to have it one song, and I was a little disappointed when when I got voted down on that one.
0: <laughs> you had a, another sort of Dream Theater tie-in with Kevin Mark coming on.
1: And well, Kevin first played with us in uh, Perfect Cemetery, which was 1989. Right. So I had been good friends with with Mike for a long time, and he turned me onto the band, and I just loved the band. So we knew in Perfect Symmetry that we wanted to have some keyboards. That Kevin would be a great addition to it. And then again, the next two records, we really didn't have any keyboards to speak of on the records. A few guitar synth parts that I did, but nothing too elaborate. And then, again, getting back to Pleasant Shade, we wanted to do something completely different, so we knew that there was going to be less of the two guitar parts that we had traditionally had, and those, the second guitar part would be, that space would be taken up by keyboards, and, you know, for me, the first person I thought of to add those keyboards would be Kevin, because, number one, I love his writing, and two, even though a lot of the, the keyboard parts were written in advance, I, I like the sounds he brings to the table yeah. and even even if he's just playing something that I wrote his sounds and his inversions the way he interprets it adds so much to it so he was the natural choice for us uh,
0: yeah no that's cool and and I you know I can tell you I remember when that came out uh, you know that was sort of a Way after uh, Hair Metal had been gone, and there wasn't right. a lot of good metal to listen to, and I, maybe there was Dream Dream Theater out at the time. I, not too much was going on, and right. we, for me and all my friends, when that album came out, that was it was like our minds were blown. <laughs> oh, cool! <That's laughs> it great. was it Thanks. was a very cool uh, decision, and it, you know whether it was not as commercial or you know whatever, it did seem right. like the right idea because the fan base I think was was happy. You know, when you yeah, you know, I think out.
1: with a lot of things we've done, the fan base, we we always manage to make a certain amount of them happy, and we always manage to piss off a certain amount of them. And that's <laughs> what I mean. So a that's lot of people were just, right? I guess so. I saying. mean, it doesn't bother me at all. To me, it says, yeah, I think you're right that we're doing something. You know, we're doing something right because we're challenging ourselves, we're moving on, and it doesn't really matter to us what people think along the way. So yeah, it's been pretty much a. A trademark of what we do from record to record.
0: That's cool. Well, listen, uh, this was a treat, man. Thank you so much for cool. for the insight and, and uh, wish you success on the new album. I think everyone's going to love it, and uh, hopefully we'll see you out on tour. Awesome. Thanks, man. All right, man. Thank you. Take care. Bye. Thanks to Jim for the interview. We're going to close with a track off of Theories of Flight. This is White Flag. For upcoming news and interviews, please check to com. follow us on Facebook, at The Progreport on Twitter, or download the podcast on iTunes. Thanks. <laughs>